0: So it was the summer of 1977. Some of you may remember this summer. Some of you may not have even been around during the summer of 1977. But what I remember about the summer of 1977 was that my mom finally relented and took my brother and me to see Star Wars. You may recall it came out in May of 1977, and it was a huge blockbuster. And my brother and I kept bugging my parents to take us to go and see Star Wars. I mean, I was all 10 years old, so I wasn't really able to get there on my own. And I remember walking into the movie theater and sitting down near the front, and the lights got dark, and it began a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And the music of John Williams began to play, and you may remember those, the, the scrolling screen with the yellow words that began to describe this epic story known as Star Wars. And that story would continue. I remember in the, in the spring of 1983, telling my mom, I was like, uh, you need to call in an absence from me to school because I'm going to go see Return of the Jedi And actually, I think I took my little brother as well. I picked him up from from middle school, and we drove, and we watched Return of the Jedi on opening day. It was this epic story about adventure, about the battle of good and evil, light and darkness. But the interesting thing about that series, Star Wars, is, is it took time to unfold. It wasn't like Netflix, I mean, Netflix now you can download an entire season or watch an entire season of a show in one day. You can binge watch it. But what happened in Star Wars was there was this this unfolding of the story. There was the, there was development of characters. It was the grand narrative that year by year you learned more and more about what was happening within the the movie-making series known as Star Wars. And when I think about Scripture, I think Scripture is is like the series of Star Wars. It is this this unfolding. It is this progressive moment of, of God continuing to show more and more of himself. It begins all the way back with the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God calling to them. The scriptures testify to the faithfulness, the the obedience of Ruth and Esther. We hear these words of prophets and priests and kings. We begin to hear in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel of the story of the one who is to come, the one who will bring fulfillment, the one who will bring the new covenant. And it is in this telling of the story that we now enter into that story. We're in what is sometimes called the letter of Hebrews, sometimes called the book of Hebrews. As we read through it, though, it's actually a sermon. It's a preacher preaching to a congregation. And what Hebrews does is it looks back and it looks forward. It looks back to saying, this is what all of scripture is leading up to. And then it points us to Jesus and says, this is what Jesus has done for us. So let us listen now for God's word. We're in Hebrews chapter one. We're going to read verses one through six. And this is what we read. And this is why I remember star Wars because it says in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs for to which of the angels did God ever say you are my son today. I've become your father or again. I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So, the Sermon of Hebrews, the Letter of Hebrews. It's kind of fascinating when you go back and you look at this historically. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. For a long time, they thought it was the Apostle Paul, but it is now very clear that it was not the Apostle Paul. People have suggest, suggested Luke, Barnabas, Sylvanus, Apollos, Priscilla, and Priscilla and Aquila. We don't know who wrote this sermon. We don't actually know who it was written to. Oftentimes when we hear the Apostle Paul or we hear about Peter, we, we know that it's written to a specific congregation or to a specific context. We don't know who it was written to. We know that more than likely they were people who had some history and understanding, a, a, a vague memory of the, of the Jewish system because there's so much Old Testament connected to it. But we don't know exactly who it was written to. We also don't know exactly when it was written. Scholars suggest it was written sometime between 60 AD and 80 AD to a group of people who could have been in Rome, who could have been in Spain, or could have been in Judea. It was probably not written to a congregation in Jerusalem. We just don't know to whom it was written And perhaps that's okay. Because what we do know about this church that received this sermon is that they were struggling. They were tired. They were discouraged. They had grown weary. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the sermon. And what the preacher is doing is saying, look, don't walk away from jesus keep walking with jesus when you grow tired when you grow weary stay with jesus it's a church it's a, it's a letter it's a sermon that's 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 preached or proclaimed or written however they were doing it to a church that's tired that's tired of Virtual worship, that's tired of Zoom calls, that's tired of not having fellowship with one another, that doesn't ever get to drink a cup of coffee with their friends, that feels as though it is constantly embattled with the culture around around it. It is a sermon that could actually be preached today to our own congregations, to us. And so that's why I think it's a great book, a great letter, a great sermon for us to consider. Because let's face it, we do grow weary. We have grown tired of being isolated. So here's what's interesting. The preacher, I'll try and call it a sermon throughout this whole sermon series. I probably will mess it up and call it a letter or a book. But it's fascinating the way that this sermon begins because it's like no other, no other book that we find in the New Testament. It's not a gospel. It's not a letter because in all the letters, the people writing the letters say who they are, who they're writing to, give context. It's not apocalyptic like the book of Revelation. It's not the book of Acts, which is historical. But notice how the preacher begins. There is, there is no lead in. There is no great story. I, mean, I spent three minutes setting up this sermon by talking about Star Wars. There's none of that. Instead, the preacher begins with Jesus. The preacher says, I want to help put the pieces of the puzzle together by beginning with Jesus. We're calling this sermon series Puzzled because the book of Hebrews, the Sermon of Hebrews, allows us to begin to put the pieces of this puzzle together. I had a, pre- a, a preaching pastor when I was in seminary and, and he would have this saying that when people would get up and, and they'd give a sermon and, and, and he didn't fully like the sermon and he said, you know what you did for me? You gave me a bunch of great pearls, but nothing to hold them together. He was like, you were throwing a pearl there and a pearl there and a pearl there, but there was no string. There was no strand. There was no necklace to hold them together, to show forth the beauty of the pearls together. And I think this sermon from Hebrews brings the pieces together. It puts the pearls together. It shows how it's all connected. And the preacher says, we're going to start with Jesus. Jesus, who is God's word. The word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. It is all about God's word. And Jesus is God's final word. You think about God's word. It's the word that brings creation. It's the word that calls a nation. It is the word that when Moses says, give me your name, God speaks and gives Moses his name. God is of God of the voice. It's his about his word. And in Jesus, we meet the word. And so the author of Hebrews instead of starting with this great illustration, starts with Jesus and says, in the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Now listen to verses two and three, because there are seven ways in which Jesus is described. He is the heir of all things through whom also he made the universe. Number two, the son is the radiance of God's glory. Number three, The exact representation of his being, number four, sustaining all things by his powerful word, number five. Number six is he provided purification for sins. And number seven, he sat down at the right-hand side of the majesty, at the right-hand side of God the Father. This is who Jesus is. And basically, the, the preacher gives us seven bullet points and says, if you want to understand what you need to be about, if you want to understand who you need to hold on to, let me introduce you to Jesus. He is the heir of all things. He was part of the creation story. He is the essence of God's radiance. He is the exact representation of God. He sustains all things. He has purified our sins. He's sat down at the right-hand side of God, the Father. This is the one who we must look to, and this is the one who we must cling to. This is the one that God has spoken to and through. And so I think about those seven things. I think about the way in which the preacher begins his sermon. And I think about it in the sense of putting together a puzzle. So my daughter, one of the things she's done during the season of COVID, she's gotten way into puzzles. So she came home the other night and she was all excited about this thousand piece puzzle that she had got about with bees and honey. And she dumped out all the pieces on the table. And then she began to put the puzzle together. And how do you begin a puzzle? Well, you begin with the picture that I've got here on the screen, that the, the puzzle that Morgan was working on. You begin with the framework. You find the corner pieces. You find the edge pieces. And you begin to build the structure. You don't go looking for missing pieces. You build the structure. You frame it out. And this is what I think is happening in Hebrews chapter 1. The preacher is saying, let me frame for you the story. And the story begins with Jesus. And the story begins with understanding who Jesus is. This progression that God has been working on since the beginning of time that now comes to fulfillment in Jesus. And there's so much here that that we really don't have time this morning or time today to to work our way through this. So I just want to pick out a couple of things that we see in this narrative that help us to see a little bit more of who Jesus is and hopefully encourages us in our own faith when we grow weary. In verse 3, he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And then he says, the exact representation of his being Jesus is the exact representation. This is, this is the, an image of engraving. It's, it's the image of a metal worker who is creating a coin. And in order to create that coin, they first have to come up with a stamp to place on the coin. The Greek word here for exact representation is the word character. That's where we get our word character, of having character. And for that engraver, what they would do is they would make a stamp of whatever they were going to put on the coin, and then they would take that stamp and they would push it into the hot metal or the soft metal, and it would be the exact impression, it would be the exact expression, it would be the exact image of whatever was on that stamp would end up on that coin. And what the preacher of Hebrews is saying is this is who Jesus is. When we see Jesus, we see God. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God. This is who Jesus is. In our search for God, the beauty is that God has said, I have come down. I am giving you my son. I'm showing you my son so that you might see me. And then what's going to happen in Hebrews, there's a a ton of connections, and we'll see these back to the Old Testament. I'm only going to use one. This is verse 5. But he quotes two scriptures from the Old Testament that were used to help people describe and to understand who Jesus is. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, or today I have become your father, which is from Psalm 2, verse 7. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son, which is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. The author, the preacher, is saying you've got to see how Jesus connects back to the Old Testament. How the pieces fit together. And that's part of what I think we have to be about as believers, is putting the pieces together i putting the pieces together of how we work our way through this season of Lent and how we get to Easter so that we can appropriately and enthusiastically celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The preacher in Hebrews says, and you know what happens at the end? Jesus sat down. He'd done his work. He'd accomplished his mission. He had fulfilled the promise. Everything that was spoken of, to, of him, everything that pointed to him all the way back from the book of Genesis, is now fulfilled in God's final word, revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The promise is fulfilled in Hebrew, later in Hebrews in chapter eleven, verses twenty nine and thirty. this is is what we read in terms of understanding what uh, what all was happening. With the, with the people of Israel. And and it's getting this idea of saying, these are the people for whom the story is all about. This is Hebrews chapter. Sorry, I just, I said the wrong verse. So I was trying to find the right verse. It's Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. So now, now we're good. This is what the, the pastor says, talking about all these people who have gone before. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Because in Hebrews 12, it's looking at all the saints from the Old Testament, and then there's fulfillment in Jesus Christ. They all were commended for their faith, but they did not fully receive it. Because only when Jesus arrives... Is everything fulfilled? And the preacher is saying, look to Jesus. Understand what he's done. Because as I said, the congregation's grown weary. How do I know this? Well, you skip forward to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, and it says this. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees because they've grown weary. Strengthen. It's kind of like us not going to the gym for a long time, right? You got to strengthen your weak arms. You got to motivate yourself to get up and start moving. Your, your your knees have grown weak. And the author of Hebrews is saying, keep moving. Keep going. Don't walk away from the faith. Walk toward Jesus. Look to him to get your strength. Remember who he is. He is the creator of all things. He is the heir of all things. He is the one who is God's radiance, God's glory. He is the one who has sustained us. He is the one who is God's exact representation. All these wonderful descriptions of who Jesus is. We need to keep looking to Jesus, God's final word. So I know we just finished our sermon series on the Psalms. But I want to go back and look at the first psalm that we looked at in the very beginning of January. It's a very familiar psalm, Psalm 23. And this is how we read it in the NIV. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Walking through Sometimes we translate that, the the valley of the shadow of death. But walking through the darkest valley, that may, may be where some of us are. Trudging through the valley, carrying the weight of family, of friends, of the world, of our own misfortunes, and just plodding along. But think about being in the shadow of the valley. In order for there to be a valley, there has to be a mountaintop. And what David is describing is he's saying, look, I've been to the mountaintop, and now guess what? I've come down into the valley, but I'm not going to stop. As I make my way through the valley, I'm heading to the other side. There's another mountain to be climbed. There's another place of joy and expectancy that is waiting. And he says, and I'm going to do this because Jesus, you are with me. He describes the good shepherd, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They push me. They protect me. This is what the Savior does for us. And so as we begin this season of Lent, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. You may be walking through the valley. You may be wondering, how long, Lord, till I get to that next mountaintop? But in the midst of that, remember who is with you. God's very word, his living son, the one who is the fulfillment of all things, is with us. He is our guide, he is our strength, and he is our hope. This is what the story is telling us. This is what the scriptures tell us. Pray with me, please. God, for this day, we're grateful. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful that we have met Jesus Christ, that he bears the image of God the Father. Lord, may we walk through this life with you. Would you strengthen us and encourage us? Would you remind us of who Jesus is? God, we are so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful that you have called us with your voice to be your faithful daughters and sons. And so, Lord, we yield our lives to you, praying and asking all this in Jesus' name. Amen.